It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. Dynasty Podcasts, live from Dynasty HQ in Pilsen. Haima Black, back for another week. And we have an awesome night of interviews tonight. We have Wemi Mo here. Uh, our producer, Natalie, is going to be talking to him later. And first up, uh, I am here with Dela Chappelle. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me out. Absolutely. Thanks for coming up. Yeah. Just, uh, oh, yeah. Move that there. Yeah. So, you know, you and I, uh, we were talking about before the mic, and it's a little remarkable to me that you and I had not crossed paths prior, because we've both been doing music work in Chicago for a long time. Yeah. I've just found out you worked at Q101 as an intern for a time, and I'm sure we overlapped. <laughs> and we do a lot of, you know, I think there's some overlap in the type of work we do in that we do music and, um, I think, culture-focused work uh, around brands, hospitality, like DJs, all these things. And it's amazing we didn't meet until recently. So, so man, I'm glad that we made this happen now instead of waiting any longer. Yeah, I'm stoked. I mean, you guys have a great podcast, so it's cool, like, We've always kind of been like self-aware, I guess. Yeah, so. but I mean, and you guys, and we're going to talk all about all the stuff you do, but um, we met because uh, I'm currently, and you're also involved, yeah. uh, we're both currently involved with a project at the Moxie Hotel, and you do a couple different things. So I am helping Moxie Hotel, it's a new hotel in uh, River North, part of the Marriott line, and they have a podcast booth, I'm helping book some podcast acts for them, and I met you there when they actually brought you in with the Music Truck Trust podcast, and so... We're going to talk all about all that stuff, man. But uh, but we always start at the beginning. Like, how did you get your start as a creative? Jesus. Uh, so I guess in college, I was going for kind of like a radio marketing. Like, I kind of wanted to be in music, but didn't want to be on the performance side of things. Radio is where you go when you want to be around rock stars. Yeah. But you're not a rock star yourself. Right. Or at least speaking for myself. No, same I thing. I was like, I'm never going to be Green Day, but I kind of want to meet Green Day. Yeah. So, I mean, I was into like live music and all that. And I was like, well let's be realistic. Like if I'm going to go to college, like let's do something like that's somewhat half involved, still like be able to like bounce around. So it was like a pretty loose degree. Um, and so I moved into Chicago and kind of got connected through the radio stations, like Q101 and all that started interning. And, um, by like sophomore or junior year, I had picked up DJing and it was kind of like my roommate at the time was like, I work for this private event company. We do like weddings, bar mitzvahs, private events, whatever it was. So I kind of just like, yeah, hey, I'll do this for some side cash again with the music. Like, sure. I don't really have to be center of attention. And that sort of kept going, like, I guess, further than I thought it was going to. Um, to by the time I graduated, I was holding residencies in a lot of, like, the bigger nightclubs here. Um, what were the nightclubs at that time? Jesus. I think Because that, that's always such a great marker of, like, when things are happening. Like, I talked to some people. Like, I talked to Willie Joy the other day yeah. on a phoner, and he was, like, talking about Sonic Attack. And I'm like, man, bring me the fuck back to Sonic Attack. I, I loved Sonic Attack. Yeah. What's that, Beauty Bar now? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And Beauty Bar is cool. Yeah, but, but like Sonic Attack was... Sonic Attack had, like, one of the best systems in the city, and that was definitely, like, the, the house party epitome oh of, like, just anything Dark else. Wave Disco in its prime. Yes. Yeah. All um, that stuff. I was a resident over at Enclave. That was, like, my okay. first big... Yeah. I think I won some, like, local DJ battle. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, you're now, like, our resident. And then, like, right. a, you know, typical nightclub fashion, they closed, like, two years later. Sure. That's what happened. Whatever it was. But, um, so I kind of did that, and then out of college, I took some odd jobs and did things like that, and... I kind of had this weird, this weird setup with a lot of our venues where when I wasn't DJing, they were like, hey, like, can you find somebody? Right. And I was like, yeah. So it kind of forced me to like, meet other DJs, meet other like, live musicians, because some of the, they had like, live music elements. Um, and it just kept going. 
and finally like I just quit like any of my nine to five stuff, any of my side gigs and kind of just kept with the DJing, which sort of put me back into the performance aspect of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how far you want to go down this, but then, you know, whatever that was seven, eight years later, music trust came under like my radar and we started working together and now I'm a partner in the company and it's just, we do it full time. Yeah. And so you, you really have been like, not just a performer, but a curator in the city for, for a time now. Yeah. How do those two roles differ? Like, what's your mindset when you're going in as a performer at an event versus when you are on the, you know, setting up the lineup and making sure everything's produced properly? I think when you perform, you're obviously trying to cater to, like, what, like, as a DJ, I guess, because it could be different um, depending what you perform with. Like, as a DJ, you're trying to play what the venue wants, and you're trying to, I guess, just be be that artist type, right? Um, So it's just the music, it's just a performance, and that's kind of it when we're setting up the lineups and we're trying to like curate the music for these venues, it's, it's way more like you have to have like that corporate mindset a little bit where you're like, okay, these 20 artists are professional, like where they show up on time, they have their shit together, they have their EPKs, they have their photos. Like it's just, you kind of like go down the whole line of like, sure. Does all this that we're about to do for the next quarter at this venue, like fit their bill? And does it, does it reflect well on you? Yeah. Does it exactly. reflect well that they're not, like you said, showing up late, they're not stealing bottles, they're not yeah. getting in fights? All but it's stuff. funny because I feel like this is like, that's the conversation I have with half of our clients now. It's like, listen, like, we're going to plug these artists, we're going to like do these shows, we're going to like produce all these things and make it happen. But there's always this wild card, right? You never know. Because when you're sure. dealing with DJs, like live acts, dealing with like any kind of artist, like there's always a loose cannon. Like, Absolutely. I've had artists get arrested at gigs. I've had artists, like, black out at gigs. I've had artists not show up. Like, you name it, like, it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, like, it doesn't... You just have to, like, set that barrier so it's not... It's not me. It's <laughs> no. Just, it's out of my control. That's what artists do, though. Yeah, is that, like... I think it falls under, like, the force majeure, like, contract. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is an act of God. The artist jumped off the stage and killed himself. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I couldn't control that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and not to detour, and not to, like, veer into, like, someone else's podcast, but... You should listen to, if you have not yet, you should listen to Disgraceland. It's yeah. a new podcast, or newish, and it is a true crime music podcast. Oh, no way. So they get into the true life bad behavior of, like, Sid Vicious, like, uh, James Brown, like, like, all these guys. Of course, uh, Motley Crue, The Stones, and it's all true stories. And oh, it wow. just gets in-depth about uh, just their wildest behavior and it is a tremendously entertaining podcast and again not to be in our podcast and be like hey listen to someone else's podcast no, but that's it's, a, good, it's a great yeah. podcast and i have a feeling you especially as a curator who has worked with a lot of artists you would tremendously appreciate it yeah absolutely because yeah. it was like vh1 behind the music was as close as that it's ever totally got. it's in that same vein okay yeah. cool i dig that yeah so so now you're a curator and a performer and you've been doing this in the city for for a good amount of time yeah and uh, I guess, how have you seen the city nightlife community and, and conversation change? Like, what is it like to be working in Chicago nightlife and, you know, the nightlife or nightclub scene and all this in 2018 versus 14 or 10 or anything like that? It's definitely changed a lot. And I think with, like, our nightlife scene, any of our music scene, it's, you watch, like, the, the trends of music, right? Sure, so, yeah. you know, when we started doing this stuff, like, DJ AM had just kind of started, like, gaining steam, like... Steve Aoki was still out there DJing for like normal, halfway normal rates, right, like yeah. not headlining festivals. It was very like he was doing his hot stuff. It was kind of like Bloghouse stuff, right? It was like yeah, just yeah. Really it dirty was those justice days. Yeah, it was like dirty bootleg music, right? Right. Um, 
but like all things, like it can't last forever, so it changes. And I think with Chicago, we have this happy medium where we're not New York, we're like we're first, we're not LA. Like not that LA is like last with it, but it's definitely like there's a like the West Coast music culture definitely stays a little bit more sturdy with like their local roots. Right. So we kind of had this like nice juxtapose between both coasts. Um, but like it's it's crazy. I mean like the what used to be strictly bottle service clubs and dive bars has now switched with the music being like after the EDM boom, you know, you're seeing like more of those big clubs pop up where like sports bars were playing Avicii and sure. Hardwell and you're like watching Bears games here and there's seven <laughs> DJs and, like, and confetti happen? cannons and you're just this I mean it was it was obnoxious, but I got why they had to do it because right. you can't play Journey all the time. You can't shove, you know, music from the '60s and '70s down 22-year-olds' throats for the rest no. of their life. Um, but now it's turning into this. I mean, like you know, like hotels are a big thing. Like it's more of like an elevated program where it's keeping revenue on site. Whether you're a restaurant, whether you're a bar, whether you're like a nightclub, you're seeing ways where nightclubs aren't just going to be a two to three day operation. Right. So they're trying to figure out how do we stay open six, seven days a week and continue that revenue. Um, so I think that's kind of like the best, the best evolution is something that used to take two, three days a week. It was very like grassroots, very like punk rock right. has now turned into a way more like, it's a line item, man. Like it's there's budgets, it's corporate. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's marketing initiatives behind it. Like even the artists themselves, what looks like total chaos and anarchy is probably planned out six months in advance. Sure. So yeah, and I, and I do remember when the nightlife circuit was very different here in Chicago, and it didn't, it wasn't operating the way it is now. Where, like you said, it is this kind of like full time, nonstop, every day this programming kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it used to be like. And again, I, like I, I feel like I'm dating at least myself, if not both of us. No, but it's like right. you would, you know, hear about some party like I don't know, Kill Hannah was putting on at like Crowbar. Yeah. But it's like that was like once a week. Yep. It was not like every single night there's a thing. No. Yeah. But this, I say this to a lot of guys because I don't think the younger generation gets it yet. But like, Chicago is one of the rare markets where you can be an artist whether you're a DJ, a live act, a graffiti artist, whatever it is, and you can live full-time being an artist, and there's enough work. Yeah, we, we say that all the time on this podcast, and I, and I always use the example of, like, literally, and not everybody can see this, but it's like, I am in a work-live space in Pilsen that I could yeah. never even come close to affording in New York or L.A. Right. A place like this in New York or L.A. would be $4,000. This is like a $2 million, like, apartment in like Chelsea or something. Sure, exactly. Like, this is crazy. And it's like, I can run a full-time podcast business yeah. and support living here, which is like staggeringly stupid. Right. Like In a dope neighborhood. In a dope neighborhood and with prime location and parking. And so it's like, I, and I never take it for granted. I'm so thankful, but it's like, I always recognize that I can do this because I live in Chicago and I have a lot of, all my, almost all my close friends have moved to LA or New York or Austin. And I'm like, I get it great cities but I'm like I will stay here because I want to run my own thing and I get, you can do it here and I get the idea of like moving to New York to be next to the labels or moving to LA because sure. that's like that's it makes the look sense. for music but at the same time like there's planes there's FaceTime there's like you're connected within three seconds to anything right that's kind of that's kind of where I come from yeah. and like you know Chicago's so centrally located that you can fly two hours anywhere three hours anywhere and you're there yeah you could have a meeting you could leave in the morning have a meeting in LA in the afternoon and then be home to have a late dinner here. Absolutely. You know, and I like that about Chicago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about uh, around, I guess, Music Trust. Bring us into what Music Trust is, what it does. I mean, I think it's a name that a lot of people in Chicago nightlife and culture are aware of and they know what it is. But for anyone who doesn't, 
Tell us about Music Trust. So it's essentially like we create sonic identities for hospitality and nightlife brands. And what that comes down to is like booking DJs, live bands, creating playlists. Um, and that's kind of like the core of it. But then there's also like the marketing side of it, the support side of it that comes with it too. Because like if we book an act and the venue has no clue how to market it, promote it, all that other stuff, we sort of have to step in and help. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the most simplified version of it. So, like, right now we have about 20 accounts nationwide. Um, it's a good balance between kind of, like, lifestyle hotel properties, um, like, larger hospitality groups. We don't really have, like, you know, you own a bar and need a DJ. So they're kind of, like, bigger entities that just don't have the capabilities or the understanding of how to make live music work. So we're kind of like their liquor vendor, but for talent. Well, and I think not everybody understands that it's a very specialized skill working with talent, Mm -hmm. understanding where the culture is and where it's going, where the conversation is and where it's going, and knowing how to put together a bill, knowing how to put together an event, a lineup that makes sense for the venue, makes sense with the vendors, makes sense with the sponsors, makes sense with the audience. Like, that is not something everyone can do. No. And it's funny because when we come into a lot of properties that already have, like, an entertainment thing kind of (laughs) going, we're like, so what are you doing for this? Oh, we just go on, like, Gig Salad or, like, we check on Facebook and it's like, Okay, but like that's it. Like you're not planning anything. You're not actually looking to see like if they fit your lifestyle. Like, yeah, yeah, your like, brand, whatever you want. Right, your audience, all these things. It's usually like a marketing person or like somebody like a GM of like a bar. Not that it's a bad thing, because again, like there's there's a premium to use outside services, right? Right. Um, but if it's something that a venue wants to take seriously, like you have to actually take it seriously. And like most places would hire an in-house talent buyer. So if you look at like the big Las Vegas clubs or even any market, like the big big EDM clubs, whatever they do, um, somebody's in-house. Like, somebody's there nine to five dealing with right. it. Right, yeah. Um, our yeah, whole or whoever. Yeah. Right. And our whole position was some of our clients may not need that because they're not doing something as, like, robust, but, the re- like, the relationships and, like, your brand shouldn't suffer when the person leaves. Right. And it's kind of one of those things where, like, it hasn't been tapped in, I guess, like, our market where, like, you know, a talent buyer, for lack of a better term, is, like, outside and kind of like your liquor vendor. So it'd be like your food and beverage manager leaving and then like absolute and everybody just pulling their beer from the shelf. Right. Because sometimes talent goes with the talent buyers and it's true. Know, yeah. You would bring your, the new guy brings in his new friends, cleans house where it's just, you have this very inconsistent thing. Yeah. And it does disrupt the brand. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's kind of like what our like added value is for a lot of these properties. And you came into music, or not music dealers, well, music trust. Um, <laughs> I used to work with the music dealer guys. I mean, you've been around the block in Chicago, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. But with music trust, uh, how long into that operation existing did you come in? I think it was around for about two or three years. Um, Paul Blair, a.k.a. White Shadow, was running it. And this was sort of like when I, at the point when I was like, I'm done with my nine to five, I'm going to just network and right. go out and try to do this DJ thing and all that. I had met a couple other guys that worked with him, and obviously, like, I'd known Paul from, like, the nightlife circuit. And about maybe a year or two after that, he got picked up by Lady Gaga to go produce and run, like, all of her stuff. So, obviously, like, the brand was sort of just in limbo because, you know, when you're on tour for eight months producing for her... One of the world's biggest acts. Yeah, like, do you... Like, shit just kind of falls through the cracks. So, I think it was, like, at that point, the other partners from L.A., we're starting to kind of get antsy and wanting to like do more. And so they kind of reached out and they're like, Hey, like we see you're doing all this stuff already. Like let's figure out a way to, you know, basically buy Paul out and take the company and 
do what we need to do. Um, and at the time, we had a roster. So we were, like, representing, like, every local Chicago DJ. Right. And yeah. that sat for, like, a year or two when I got, like, actually, like, uh, involved more. And it was just one of the things where I was, like, we're going to kill the roster, like, change directions because we weren't trying to be, like, an agency. We weren't trying to just, like, pad every DJ's pockets because it's a right. lot of, it's just, it's a heart. It's a, it's a pill battle. And so, like, once we kind of got our footing and gained steam, we picked up some accounts and kept going. And you mentioned something a minute ago that, uh, I, you know, both of us, I think, are definitely very interested in, is that hotels have now really become lifestyle destinations. And that's something that has been happening in other markets like Miami and Las Vegas and even New York and, and, and L.A., like, for years. Yeah. And not just, like, a Soho House-type hotel that really has its own kind of insular ecosystem, but you look at a, a Virgin, a Moxie, you know, a Chicago Athletic, you know, now hotels, it's not your parents' four seasons that just... You go there and yeah. you stay overnight, and then you hit the road to go to your grandmother's house. It's like these are lifestyle programming destinations, and that is something relatively new in, I want to say, the last five to six years in Chicago. Yeah. So I guess what was the impetus for you and the brand to start branching out to hotels? How did that process happen? So we had an account that was kind of existing. It was uh, the Wit Hotel here in Chicago. That was like mm-hmm. our first, like, like hotel that actually had a legit nightclub on. And Wit was early on doing stuff like this. Yeah. They were kind of first to market sure. for a hotel to have that. Like hotels have always had the outlets, but this was like, this had like a blown out rooftop club. They have a lifestyle. They have an identity. They have yeah. events. You would see it on Darkroom Demons, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Tyler yeah. and Matt were the photographers there. I mean, like sure. the, the team that came in really like vamped up everything and made it like what it should have been, like a Vegas, like... Southern California type property where it was just all encompassing. So we worked with them for about four years kind of exclusively for a hotel because there wasn't enough here to do it. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, and we didn't really know where it was going to go. So like, let's just try it. But we learned a ton of shit like dealing with that hotel. Like things you would never think of in the nightlife world were like, well, yeah, just put in the best sound system, like drop subs everywhere. Like, who cares? Like do X, Y, and Z. But then once you work with them, you're like, oh, this is why there's hangups. So how do we work around that? So after like, um, I don't know, like four or five years, we started branching out and just really started taking the model we used for the WIT um, and seeing if it would work in other markets. And like, we got super lucky. And when Virgin opened, we kind of got to work with them a little bit, mm-hmm. which was cool. Um, we started working with a lot of Kimpton properties, W properties, um, you know, just nationwide and things just snowballed. And these are big names. Yeah. You know, and... and- was there any pushback or any uncertainty from any of these brands, not just the hospitality, but like how have you guys, you know, I guess positioned yourself to be like, hey, this is the thing we know. This is why you need us. You know, here's the value in it. So the interesting thing is like if you have a hotel group like the W, right, and you're in like four of them, it's four different ownerships right. under that brand. So the pushback can either be none or if the, depending on the ownership, it can be crazy. Where like they're just like they don't see your value, they don't want it, they don't want to budget for it. So like I'd say like the worst of the pushback was if you had an existing property that had older ownership, you know, like that just didn't get it. Right. They didn't see a need for it um, because they couldn't see the writing on the wall that you know brands like Kimpton, brands like uh, Chicago Athletic Association, Ace Hotel, like all those things were going to crush them if they came into market because which happened. Right. Yeah. Because here in Chicago, like nobody would eat or drink at a hotel because they were union run outlets. The drinks were crap. The food was crap. Like, why would you, why would you do it? Well, you know, and it's, it's so funny. Like, because again, I'm almost, I'm, I'm kind of actually shocked. We did not really cross paths early. It's like in, you know, 2011, 2012, I had this concept and I'm not saying it's remotely like 
I'm the only person who ever thought of this, but it's like in 2011 or 12, I really wanted to work with like, I won't say, one of the hotel brands in the city that was early on doing cool stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, let's do this concept. Like, we'll do a podcast, we'll do a live stream. You know, I kind of had like a specific vision for it. And, and boy, you would have thought that I was like, can you pay me to crash your car? Like, that, that was the, like, yeah. response. And, and I would try pitching other hotels, and I remembered, like, talking to music people in the city, and they were like, why the fuck do you want to work with a hotel? And I was like, no, man, there'd be something cool about, like, doing a podcast, like, from, like, a nice hotel suite or doing a yeah. panel and, like, the whatever. And now that's a thing that happens, but, like, it took years before I found any... I mean, the true story, Michael Wing and I from Autograph, Michael Wing from Autograph, Midnight Conspiracy, we did this so old school. This is such a DIY... 90s kind of story but like we both had this vision we wanted to work with hotels you're gonna love this we literally printed out a dual one sheet top half was about autograph bottom half was about dynasty podcast and we printed them out and no joke we just went door to door we fired it to every hotel nice and we were like is your marketing manager in and not a single one of them wanted to work with us because they were like what the fuck is this like why would you want to work with a dj and a podcaster so like fast forward five years. Yeah, fast forward five years, but like finally, like what happened was one hotel, public hotel, they wanted to work with Autograph, or maybe it was even Midnight Conspiracy back then, because Midnight Conspiracy was throwing great parties and they had some props that public wanted. And the email kind of ended with like, oh, and, and and I guess we could talk about that concept you had wanted to do if you want. And we were like, they gave us an inch and we were like, let's do this whole thing. And they had us on for a year and then that jump started it. But it's like I do know what you're talking about. That it was amazing that a lot of these hotel brands did not see why digital content and social content tied into live programming was yeah. of any value, which now sounds insane. It's, it's crazy. And I mean, if you go to hotels now and you go to like the, the very traditional like Hilton's or Marriott's, right. and like whatever those sub brands are, Omnia and all that stuff, sure. they seem stale. They right. seem like, I get it. Like, like Park Hyatt will always have a place in like the luxury brand side of things, but like if you just look at lifestyle brand hotels, like you can tell when people are faking it and when they're not. And it's the guys that are faking it. Like they're just, they're never going to make it. Right. Yeah. You know, like you have to be authentic. You have to have good, like a good food and beverage program. You have to have a solid sonic identity. Like even if it's not live music, like even if you don't hire us, like using some like garbage company like Muzak or, um, you know, whatever, like their counterparts are now, it's just, it's that generation right. now knows when it's fake. Yeah. And it's like, you're only doing a disservice yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so Music Trust who works with like you know hospitality, nightclubs. What else does the brand do? Because I know that it's a very multifaceted operation. So we've started doing a lot more creative stuff, and whether that's photographers, whether that's um, creating like marketing assets, so check stuffers, flyer designs. We've yeah. you know we've helped kind of like negotiate some contracts where like a graphic designer will do everything on property from the key cards to like the the window wraps, the like, visual identity. Yeah, yeah anything yeah. that just the in-house marketing can't or I shouldn't say camp, but anything they, like, they're not capable of doing or they're too busy to do. And that, that's another part of it. It's like, they're like, yeah, we would love to, I hear that a lot where people are like, oh, we'd love to have a podcast. We just don't, you know, we don't have the time to figure out how and when. Yeah. And I'm like, that's where I come in, man. Because there's a thing where people don't realize that the hotels, like the coolest hotel can still have the most corporate, like, you know, sure. front of office where like it's a, it's a nine to five marketing person, but then their outlets run, you know, 9 p.m. till 2 a.m. But yeah, the marketing the people are never and, there. Yeah. And it's like, well, you need to have somebody there because that's where like everything else happens. Like, so people want to be out, but you know, it's like, it's hard to argue. Like if it's a successful hotel, there's a million dollars in rooms on the books 
at they got any weddings, given time. So right. why do they need, yeah. So the depending on the size, the, let's just call it like ten to $60,000 in revenue that a typical like hotel bar nightlife thing might make mm-hmm. seems like peanuts. But there's a reason people stay at certain hotels. You know, like when I go to Ace, it's because there's stuff going on. When I yeah. go to Soho House, it's because there's stuff going on and I want to spend my money. I like the programming there. I like the food. I like the beverage. Um, people want an experience. Yeah. And they want an experience that they know they can trust. Yep. That's why people go to see Fast and Furious 8, 9, 12, 45, because it's like they know what it is, you know? At and this like, point, you're just curious, like, how that storyline is going to keep going. You know, and I love the stupid <laughs> Saw movies, and I know yeah. that they're stupid, but it's like, I will go see, so, like, as long as they're making Saw movies, you know, yeah. I'll go see them, because I'm like, I already know what this is. You just, just want to see like, how demented just they how, keep getting. How does this work now, you yeah. know? But yeah, there, there really is a component of that. Um, so, so now that you've been doing this this long, like, I guess what are some of the major takeaways you have learned about just operating a creative career in Chicago and making it last with longevity? I think what makes it last is our talent. Um, and it's, it's weird because we don't technically represent our talent. Like, we don't, we technically don't owe them anything. We just work with people that are solid DJs, like artists, photographers, whatever it is, guys that can get the job done, people that know what they need to do. Um, and we take care of them. Like, we're not, we don't have a ton of overhead. We're not some, we don't have some big fancy front of office with seven right. accountants, like lawyers, like top floor in Fulton market. Right. We're, yeah. we're technically a small business where like we put the artists first. We make sure we're always looking out for them to an extent. And I think, um, the big takeaway is that if you take care of the artists, whether you're using us or not, and if you're a venue booking DJs, like know what the market's doing, like know what, know what your artists want to do, know like what their goals are. If their goal is to work their way out of the venue, like help them do it. But also, like, you know, pay them livable wages, make sure they're cool. Like, and then they want to come back, and then yeah. they promote it, and then they make it a great experience for all involved. Yeah, because, yeah. Like, like I said earlier, like, where you can work full-time here in Chicago as an artist, like, the first two years for us was really just learning, like, what the artists struggled with, where people didn't understand taxes, they didn't understand health insurance, they didn't understand how to make being a full-time artist work. It's a big thing. Yeah. I teach a class at Columbia that's literally that. It's, it's an entrepreneurship for artist classes. And I'm not going to teach Which a 19 amazing, year old. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's it's so important. <laughs> I'm not going to teach a 19 year old how to be better at Instagram. They got that all over me. Yeah, they're fine. you know what I mean. But like, but they don't know how to become an LLC. They don't know how to send an invoice. They don't right. know, like. That's the stuff that is going to make the difference. Again, you could be as talented as Led Zeppelin or any great artist in the history of art. But if you don't know how to send an invoice, you're screwed. You're fucked. We have so many guys that are really talented. Like we like, regardless of what they do, whether they're DJs or you know, like anything. And they'll be they'll be gone after a year. I'm like, right. what happened? Like, why are you working? Like, oh, I had to get a nine to five. I'm like, but you were working. They're like, I just wasn't making enough. I'm like, well, you were living in like a three thousand dollar a month like River North apartment, driving a Benz. Like, what? What's yes. wrong with you, man? Like, <laughs> what that's, you that's not longevity. Like, right. if you want to do this, like, you either have to be that good where you blow up super young, or you have to figure out how to stretch your money to the point where you like can can make it work. You know, and I a hundred percent like I a hundred percent hear that. It's like. So much of the gear I have is refurbished, yeah. or I got it sponsored, which I'm always thankful for, or it's like something that I like waited for the Black Friday deal, and that might sound, make me sound cheap, but it's like I've been able to make a career at this for 20 years because it's like I'm not making a million dollars a year by any means, but it's like I can make enough to support myself, get the gear I need, and continue the career, which I yeah. think honestly is just 
one of the real goals is just to be able to keep doing what you're doing. It's just being realistic, you know? Yeah. Like nobody gets into a nine-to-five position as an accountant, and then within a year, they're a partner. You know? Right. Like that's, so it's, like, the same thing with being, like, a DJ or a rapper or, like, an acoustic guy, a band, whatever. Like, you're not in this for a year, and then suddenly you're signed to Sony or Interscope. and Chances of anomaly. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, like, again, it's your inner circle, too. So, like, I think if you take care of artists, if you make sure they're okay, if you kind of talk them through their problems, and it sounds very babysitter-ish, but, like, it's... No, and everybody needs that community and everybody needs that education. Yeah. And so looking at your website, uh, themusictrust.com, just there's some really gorgeous, incredible properties and and projects. And not only have you guys done impressive work, but also the the photography and the presentation here is really, really top-notch. If people go to themusictrust.com slash projects, they can see... Uh, you know, out of these, what are just some of the projects that stand out to you as some of your favorite or some of the ones that you really look at and you're like, I mean, holy there, shit, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really fun ones. So, like, The Outsider, which is a Kimpton in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. When and we Milwaukee's s- a cool a cool market. Detroit and Mar- Milwaukee are, like, they bang cool out. hospitality properties. And people are, like, markets. people are like, oh, like, what's it like up there? I'm like, go. Like, it's yeah. approachable, it's fun, it's clean, the properties are beautiful, so it's... Anytime a great. band that I like plays The Riv... Or the Aragon here in Chicago. Yeah. They're probably playing the Rave in Milwaukee, and I always go to the Rave show. Yeah. If I'm going alone, hour and a half, two hours to listen to podcasts, and then I go see, like, a show in, honestly, a much better room. By the way, if you're not as tall as you could be, like me, um, <laughs> the Riviera, you can't see shit. The yeah. Rave is like the Metro. There's nowhere you can stand where you can't see the stage. Yeah. So I love going up to Milwaukee. Uh, I've gone, you know, and, and I don't drink, but, like, I've gone with friends and we'll stop and get a cocktail uh, at like Iron Horse Hotel. It's a cool city. It's it's a come up, and I think that's what a lot of people underestimate. Like the big cities, New York, LA, Miami, Chicago, like you kind of expect things to be blown out and crazy here. Sure. And they are. Like they have to be, because you can't just open up a bullshit like hotel or like nightlife right. venue and it succeed. Like it's very rare. Um, so like like our properties like Sacramento or you know, even like in San Francisco is kind of on that weird come up, like where mm-hmm. they're kind of going through this like resurgence because of the tech boom. Sure. But these properties where they're either making the most out of like nothing or something that was already existing, or they're basically just building up something that's totally mind blowing for that, that city. Yeah. You know, like Sacramento is a cool city, but like the revival spot we have there, like when I walked in, I was like, this is Vegas levels. Like this is massive. Yeah. It's huge. Like there's outlets. You basically never have to leave. Same with Outsider. Outsider had a very Southern California feel with the rooftop all in Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, and like they do really well. And it's, that's incredible. I can't wait to check these out. Like when I'm traveling. Yeah. And it's Um, fun. I mean, the W properties are very cool too. Um, I mean, you know, Virgin Virgin has been fun. Sure. I think like the four corners groups that we work with here, like, they've been a really fun project just because they're growing so fast and they're part of Sterling Bay, which is such a big developer. God, Sterling Bay is just everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. So there's franchise things that are happening. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, But you know, like it's for me, like it's not one property. It's not like what they do because we're so not a part of a lot of those conversations on the architecture. We always kind of either come in like right at the end with like the sound and like the design of the DJ area and stuff, or like it's already existing and we have to figure out how to tweak it. Right. So for me, it's seeing how these properties bob and weave and like stay exciting and stay relevant in like all of their, like their perspective cities, like what they do to actually keep themselves going. Um, that's what's kind of fun and unique with all of our properties is like, some of these have gone through seven marketing people, four GMs, two yeah. owners, and they just keep going. Like That's that radio model. It like is. When I was at Q101, and, I, and RIP Q101, I loved working there, incredible station. I, I never want anyone to ever remotely get the impression that I have any negative 
uh, impression of Q101. I, I loved working there, and it was incredible. But like, I'm so happy they brought it back, by the way. Yeah, well, and oh boy, there's a whole story there that's not <laughs> it's not really back, but it is, but it's not. It's kind of like if, if Kuma's was shut down or like Kuma's went away, but then a new burger place opened that was not owned by the same people as Kuma's, and everyone's like, Kuma's is back. And you're like, it's not Kuma's. And I was like, I, I don't care. It's Kuma's, you know? It's, yeah, it's... It's, it's Q101. But I guess my point was, like, when I was there, there was, like, every year and a half, there was a new program director. Yeah. You know? And that's just how radio works, and that's how a lot of these creative industries work. That's why like, I got out of radio. Like, like when everyone's, like, everybody I talked to was, like, oh, yeah, I've moved 14 times in the last seven years. I'm, yep. like, no. Yeah. No. Right. No. I'm yeah. good. To play, the same, <laughs> to play the same garbage top 40 songs in each market, I'm okay. Like, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but, I mean, the projects you guys have done are, are awesome, man. And this is killer. Like, you know... Again, to me, like I look at the work you guys have done, and as somebody who does music and hospitality work, it's really inspiring. Thanks, man. I think it's Appreciate very it. cool. I, I we do a lot of panels and workshops. You know this. I would love to continue this conversation with you on a panel with some other hospitality professionals. I just feel like you've clearly got great experience and great insight, and I think that I think there's a lot of other people who would love to know more about like how to work with hospitality brands, what yeah. they're looking for, how to bring that to life and how to activate a vision like that. Even on a DIY level, because like you said, Music Trust is not this thing that has, you know, uh, seed fund. And I don't know, but like you yeah, guys are there's not, no funding. Right. It's all self-funded. You know, we basically didn't DIY. take salary for a few years and figured it out. But if you look at the website, it does not scream like this is a DIY independent, you know, it's, it's professional shit, man. So, uh, I dig it. People can find you at themusictrust.com. Where, where should people follow you online? Uh, me personally, it's my Instagram. It's just at DeLaChapelle, D-E-L-A-C-H-A-P-E-L-L-E. Um, and that's kind of like, I keep everything there. Like, I don't really utilize my Facebook that much just because I'm terrified. It's, sure. But I know Instagram owns it. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much mostly on Instagram or Twitter. Twitter's the same thing. There's just a uh, underscore between De La and Chappelle. Yeah. But that's kind of it. I just use those two avenues. Um, otherwise, like themusictrust.com, at themusictrust on Instagram, at themusictrust on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Like, it's universal. I love it, man. Uh, yeah. This is killer. I'm glad we got to start this conversation tonight. Yeah, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely continue with some kind of panel or workshop in the near future. Yeah, I dig it, man. Thank you. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.